die and burn in hell for eternity have lost the perspective of an eternal judgment without God because we Christians think there's no hurry. We got all the time in the world. We're living our lives like we're going to live forever. We say we believe the Bible. We say we believe there's a judgment seat of Christ. We say we believe there's a day coming we're going to give an account, but we do not live our lives with that urgency. We live our lives for what we want to do. And we give God what is left over, whether it's convenient or not. We're looking for the best deal in this Christian world we can find for us. We're no longer interested in the best deal for God. We lost our concept of God a long time ago. And we, as much as we preach against the unity crowd and the spiritist crowd and all of that, let me tell you something. We are no different as Baptists than the folks down there at Disney World watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Princess Whoever and everybody else down there. And I'm telling you, we are in a dream world. This slow deception has been for one goal and for one purpose only. Is that to deceive you and I into believing that the man of sin, when he comes, will be the real Christ instead of the Antichrist. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point of this deception. It's not hard to figure out. The whole concept of this deception is for one thing. Now I know there's a lot of things that get caught in the middle. I mean, the church loses its mission, we lose in our fervor, we lose in our fight, we just kind of lay around and just, you know, and just kind of like a big couch potato, you know, we never really do get things done for God. And I know that's part of the problem, but that's not the main goal. The main goal has always been and will always be that the devil is coming to set himself up in a, in a counterfeit coming of Christ, and he is preparing and has prepared the whole world to believe exactly when he comes, that's where, who he'll be. And we see it. We see through this slow erosion that education replaces your walk with God. When churches want a pastor today, they don't care what he knows about the Bible. There's no questions they ask him about what they believe. They want to know where he went to school. They want to know how many degrees he's got after his name. Because we have been deceived into thinking that the more educated you are, the more godly you are. And you know what? That's part of the deception. The devil always reverses the obvious. We think that it's education, when in reality, it's your walk with God. He's taken the common ordinary man with a common ordinary Bible, and he replaced it now with the deception that you've got to learn Greek and Hebrew. Now, I know I bite on this a lot of times. And I know, because I make it a clear fact that, that you understand where this church is at with it. But let me just tell you this, how this thing works. This thing's an incredible concept. You realize that once the world bought into the deception, that you had to know Greek and Hebrew to really know the Bible. The moment a person buys into that, they're finished when it comes to the Bible. You know why? Because there's no way you can learn Greek and Hebrew in a lifetime where you can really have a working knowledge of it. You just can't. And what you've got, as we speak here today, if it takes a working knowledge of Greek and Hebrew to learn your Bible, less than one millionth of a percent of the world's population have that ability. And I'm telling you what human nature is. I was telling somebody this morning, there's two kinds of Christians I found in 35 years of my ministry. You know what it is? Those who will do everything they can to get to church 
and those who do that everything they can not to get to church. They'll look up in the morning and they'll see a cloud way over Colorado. Up, <laughs> oh, gonna rain, going back to bed. Oh yeah. They'll hear the weather forecast the night before and they'll say, good chance of snow tomorrow, gonna get seven inches. Hey honey, prepare, we're not going to church tomorrow. Now you see, that says a lot about a person. But I'm telling you, people find a way to get where they want to get. Parents get deceived in this many times. And their own kids. Kid will get, I, I've seen it in my own life, seen it in my own, my own girl's life. If they were, somebody was having a party and I couldn't take them, and they wanted to go, they were on that phone for 10 hours and they found somebody. They found a way to get them there. Well, life is about choices. And this deception is turning everything around. And the moment you tell your flesh you can't do it, the moment you give yourself the option that you're going to stop, that it's impossible, don't ever give your flesh that option. Don't ever tell yourself, I can't do this. Maybe you'll fail in it, but give it the best shot you can. Because your flesh and my flesh is the same. And brother, the more you, the more you tell it what, it can, what you can't do, the more it loves it. And when you tell yourself or somebody tells you, you really can't understand the Bible anyhow unless you go to seminary. You know what the flesh is going to say? I'll tell you what they're going to say. What's the point then? I'm not going to read it or study it because I can't learn it anyhow. Don't go there. That's where we go. The devil always takes and in his deception, the, the right thing becomes the wrong thing, and the wrong thing becomes the right thing. He always turns it around. Christianity was once a militant force. Christianity was once a militant force. They burned an old martyr at the stake one time, and when they burned him at the stake, They hated him so bad they come up and they said, we're going to separate you from the church by burning you at the stake. He says, you may, burn, you may separate me from the church militant on earth, but you'll never separate me from the church triumphant. That's the one who was spiritual up in heaven. But you see, we've lost that today. We've lost it today. Christianity has now become cultured. Christianity has now become respectable. It's not Christianity now wants to, it's run like corporations. We don't have pastors, we have CEOs. We have men who, and, and churches who look like uh, the Taj Mahal and everything. It's just, I mean, it's, it's the body of Christ was called to be a militant army that has a spiritual warfare, that has spiritual weapons, and of course, it's become passive. That's why there's no preaching today. That's why when you go to the average church, you find some exceptions. It's all about preaching. I was kidding you when you gave me my chair. The new thing is, out of California, it's been out for five or six years, that the pastor now wears a sweater, becomes one with the people. That's not how you do it, by the way. Try playing third base. He sits on a nice stool, and he sits there and he philosophizes with you. And he tells you about this and he tells you about that for 25, 30 minutes. And you're supposed to go, ooh, aw. See? And then you walk out and you're saying, wow, wasn't that great this morning? 
And of course, the bottom line is, that's what, again, never give your, here it is. Here's the key. If your flesh gravitates to it, stay away from it. If, if my preaching doesn't make you mad sometimes, take that chair back. No, 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 don't do that. Just take the footstool back. My preaching, you ought not to like my preaching all the time. I had to rub you the wrong way, some way deep down inside, where you got that little hidden thing you don't show anybody. It had to just get to you sometimes. And yet you got to smile at me and hug me at the end, because you're not going to let me know, but deep down inside, you're, I burned you. I'm telling you. The church has become passive. The church has become a place where it's not militant anymore. Christians don't want a militant stand. They don't want to, they're not in a warfare. They're not in any army that loses its weapon is going to get slaughtered in the battle. And Christianity has become a slaughterhouse. And of course, the deception is clear. The devil's goal through changing everything from what it was to what it is, through that slow erosion process, has brought it to the place where today we as the body of Christ are so confused. I feel for young couples who are, who are faced what's out there with raising their kids with no help. They go to a church, and a church, all they want is their money. All they want is thumping from them. They don't want to take the time to hand cut something for you and your family, whatever that need may be, to grasp and learn and grow to do it right. The whole thing has just turned around to such a degree, and the process has all been about that when the Antichrist shows up, that everybody on planet Earth mistakes him for Christ. To such a degree, if you would turn, don't turn to it, but if you would look in the book of Revelation, you'll find two white horse riders in the book of Revelation. The first white horse rider is in Revelation chapter 6. The second white horse rider is Revelation chapter 19. Every, every denominational seminary on this planet teaches that the white horse rider in Revelation chapter 6 is the second coming of Christ. The Revelation writer in 6 is not Christ, it is the Antichrist. The deception is complete. By the way, you read that chapter sometime, go down in there and you'll find one of the clearest places that shows you how that the Roman Catholic Church and the Muslims are going to line up together. Incredible. One of those little things God just stuck in there for somebody that's paying attention. The church has become big. The church has become beautiful in spite of the fact that the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, that they're wretched, miserable, blind, poor, and naked. You see, the obvious is never true. The Bible says that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. If the whole world thinks it's big and beautiful and wonderful, I got a standard concept for you. God's not there. God's people down through history have always been the maligned. They've always been the beat up. They've always been the persecuted. Why do you think that the world hated Christ? They did what they do to Him, and then you'd find a church today that is just glorious and beautiful and everything is just wonderful and fine when they didn't treat the Lord that way. It's always been. The obvious, the deception is always to reverse the obvious. Two weeks ago, we studied the book of Colossians. 
And as I broke that book down, I showed you in chapter 1 that it was a redefining of who Christ is. And then I showed you, or I gave you six or seven questions about who Christ is to show that. Last week I took 1 Thessalonians and we saw a model church for the last days. We saw uh, us being a model servant in the last days, a model faith in the last days, a walk, our model life all showing us in these last days what we should be right before the rapture of the church. Today in 2 Thessalonians, with the theme, Don't Be Deceived, Paul lays out the two comings. The first one, which is Christ's coming, which is the real one, and then he lays out the false one, which is going to be the Antichrist. Back in 1972, a long time ago, <clears throat> i just gotten my life put back together with the Lord. And uh, I got introduced to an old boy. I think he's dead now. His name was John Rawlings. John Rawlings was, without a doubt, one of the last of the old Philadelphian preachers. John Rawlings was one of old J. Frank Norris's boys that come out with the bust out of the Southern Baptist Convention back in the, back in the, in the 40s. And uh, he took over a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, called Landmark Baptist Church. Now, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> through the process of my life, you know, I wasn't satisfied just to hear, I wanted to know why I believe what I believe. I, I didn't want to get hooked up with the wrong crowd. You know, Baptists, they can be pretty crazy bunch sometimes. <clears throat> so I got to research all this stuff, and I went back, and I, went, I started where I was, going back through the Baptist Bible Fellowship, moving back to where it came from with J. Frank Norris, taking the individual guys and then laying them out. A lot of them I already knew. A lot of them I had I'd known personally. A lot of them I'd heard preach. Never met them, but I heard them preach. I'd been associated with their ministries, knew what they did. John Rawlings was something else. When I met him in 1972, he was probably 75 years old, still pastoring the Landmark Baptist Church. Now, the Landmark Baptist Church is, a, is an interesting church. That church was called the uh, Lockland Baptist Church, which started in 1798 on the frontier of Ohio, right there by the Ohio River where Cincinnati is now. John Rawlings took that church over, and that church had a history that went back all the way back to the 1700s. It is arguably the first Baptist church in Ohio. And John Rawlings preached that night in 1972 a message that I have never forgotten. In fact... <coughs> A lot of what shaped the way I am today and the style that I am, what I believe, and how I preach, and the way I minister <clears throat> is based on a lot what I learned from my old boys. I still have, back from the 70s, those original messages on cassette tape. I don't dare listen to them anymore, <clears throat> afraid that they'll break them. I need to transfer them over sometime, but <clears throat> I still have them because they impacted my life. And I'll never forget, it was a Sunday night. <clears throat> at the Canton Baptist Temple. It was in July or August, because it was hot. And I used to play the trumpet, and we had a little band or a little group up there that played along with the congregation, and I was sitting on the platform. And old John Rawlings came up the breach, and he preached that night a great message. And it was a three-point outline, and it was simply this. It was, a, it was telling us, don't be deceived, don't be disarmed, and don't be discouraged. I have never forgotten that message. That message has formed my philosophy of life and ministry for the last 30-some years of my life. 
I remember that night and its impact on me like it happened yesterday. It, it changed my outlook. And from that point, I never forgot that. And no matter how tough it got, no matter how bad it got, no matter how good it got, I never forgot from that point on that the devil wanted to deceive me. And that the only way I could keep from being deceived was to get in that book. And the way the devil could deceive me, if is, I let somebody disarm me and take that book from me. And I made up my mind, nobody was going to take my Bible from me. I made up my mind that nobody was going to talk me out of that book that God gave me. Because I realized that that book was my sword, it was my armor, or my armament, and that book was my weapon by which I was going to fight this war, and I was not going to get the deceived by the people around me that threw their sword away and picked up a butter knife and thought they could fight this battle. And it's because God didn't deceive me, it's because I wasn't disarmed, that today in the midst of this mess going around, I'm not discouraged. I talk to pastors all the time that are discouraged. They're discouraged with their people. They have no idea that their people are exactly what they've taught them to be. Your people are discouraged because you're, you're discouraged. You have to lead by an example and an example. We saw that last week. You have to, if you're going to pastor, you have to be, if you're going to reach anybody, all these pastors were always, well, you know what, <clears throat> my people, I just feel disconnected to my people, and I just, and you know, you are, you know why you are, and I wish my ministry just not, you know, I just don't have anything really going, and, and I just, uh, and you don't, you know why, because your people are out here doing everything that they're doing, and you're over here, and you've never made an effort to get in with them. Let me tell you something, if you want to reach whatever people group you want to reach, you got to get in with that people group. If they're paying ball on Friday night, play ball with them. Go watch them. Encourage them. Whatever. If you want to reach them, you got to, You can't be over here and them be over here and then wonder why. I wonder why I'm never involved. Because you have chosen not to be. I told a pastor one time, you want your people? Go where they're at. Get involved with what they're doing. Don't sit over here and whine about it while they're out there living their lives. Go be one with them. That's how you do it. But they can't get it. Just can't grasp it. They've been deceived. And they've been deceived because they've been disarmed. And when they got deceived, they got disarmed, they don't know what to do with their people, and now they're discouraged. I one guy say, well, I don't know what to do with my people. I said, I can help you out. What's that? Send them to me. I know what to do with them. And I'll tell you what, from that night, I was never, I've never, I'm not saying I haven't been discouraged. But I haven't been discouraged, if you know what I mean. For I've never allowed them to disarm me. And I'm not saying I'm above being deceived. I'm just saying I can look around this world and I can smell the wind and I know what's blowing where. And with this great book in 2 Thessalonians, he lays out the theme not to be deceived. And he lays out the two comings. And of course, the first coming is the coming of the Lord in chapter 1. And then chapter 2 and 3. Breakdown of this book is real easy. Chapter 1 is the coming of the Lord. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 is the coming of the Antichrist, the man of sin. And the terrible tragedy is this. God's people today don't even have a clue. Now, again, if you're just somebody that's just been newly saved, or you're somebody that's been saved five years or less, 
I'm not even talking to you. I will help you. I will work with you. I will give you somebody to work with you. I'll do whatever it takes to get you up to speed with the Bible. If you got a family, if you got kids, if you're a single parent, if you're married, I don't care. I will help you. The people in this church will help you. I will work with you. We'll disciple you. We'll teach you the Bible. We will get you there. But I'm telling you, God's people don't have a clue today. The deception has been so subtle and so slow and so complete that I've said this before and I'm going to keep on saying it. The only thing that would keep the body of Christ from lining up with the Antichrist, the man of sin, when he showed up, is the rapture. God's going to take us out of here before. Otherwise, we would go hand in hand down the primrose path. Because we have accepted the devil's doctrines, we've accepted his ministers, we've accepted his Bible, we've accepted his church, we've accepted his music, and the whole thing is just a mess. And God's people have been deceived. And they look at the great things that are out there. I heard a statement, and I'm not going to tell you who this is because I don't like to bring personalities in it because I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm just reporting the truth. I heard some people, Christian on television, talking about a, a great famous evangelist. And they said about this guy, they said, you know what? He said, I followed this man's ministry for 40 years. And he said, I have never heard anybody from any other persuasion of religion or anybody ever say anything bad about this guy. And the guy said, man, that's just marvelous. Praise the Lord. Oh, glory to God. They jibble-jabbled back and forth for a while. And I thought to myself, wow, what a, what a terrible ministry that must have been. If you preach 40 years and you don't tick some people off, make some people mad, have a lot of people hating you and just looking at you with disdain, you have failed in your mission. When did Jesus Christ get along with everybody? He wasn't here 15 minutes. They were trying to kill him. And you go 40 years without making anybody mad? Now I'm mad. I'm sorry. Now I'm mad. I should have just let that go. But look at my chair a minute. I'm mad. Oh boy, boy, how you doing? T tinker. Watch them. They're too. I'm getting trouble. Are the backs of their heads on the back of it? I didn't look at that. Oh, no, they're not. Okay. God's people haven't got a clue. Now what a mess we're in. All right, let's look at chapter one here. We got to get moving here. That was all introduction, by the way. Look at chapter one. Now, in chapter 1, we have the real return of the Lord Jesus. You know, you think God's people would get it. I mean, the Antichrist shows up, and then the real Christ shows up. Now, if you really know your Bible, how would you mess that up? You always know the real article comes the second time. It's not your first birth. It's your second birth. See? It wasn't Abel. It was Seth. It wasn't Ishmael. It was Isaac. It wasn't Ish Esau, it was Jacob. You see, how would you mess that up? It wasn't the first Adam, it was the second Adam. How would you miss that? Unless you've been deceived. Now he says down here in verse 6, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints. Now, you've got to look at that for a minute. We don't have time to stop here much. Remember last Thursday night or a couple Thursday nights ago, I told you about what you were going to be in eternity. You see that thing, when He shall come to be glorified? He's glorified in you. See that thing? Glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You know what he's saying here? He's saying here that great chapter showing you the fact that there's great comfort in the price you're going to pay and I'm going to pay in these last days for preaching this book. I mean, God says, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. There's coming a day when God is going to make everything right. Don't be deceived. Don't be disarmed. Don't be discouraged. Let them take you to the wall. Let them do whatever they're going to do to you. Let them say whatever they're going to say. Stand by the truth. I'm telling you, the rapture's coming, he's coming, and there's going to be a lot of egg on a lot of people's faces when Christ comes back because his book is true, and he's saying in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. He's coming back and when he comes back, he's going to make every right wrong. Don't be deceived. Don't get in the mindset that you're living your life like you're going to live forever. You've got a short season to do what God wants you to do. And don't let the devil sidetrack you, deceive you into a deception that you get your life so complicated that you can't accomplish that mission. And you end your life without doing a thing for God. You know... <clears throat> I remember reading through the Bible <clears throat> years ago and I started in Genesis and I got me some books by Arthur Pink that were great books. And I remember reading the story of Noah. And <clears throat> that's been a, a, a great story for me too because <clears throat> when, I, when I think about all that thing, you know, now back there in Genesis chapter 6, <clears throat> you know, when as I came through the Bible, I, I thought to myself, you know, <clears throat> so many times believing what I believe and the whole world around you not believing what you believe. And Christian brothers and sisters calling someone who believes the Bible is still the Word of God a heretic or a cult. If you allow yourself to, you can't get feeling sorry for yourself. Now, I don't have a lot of patience for people who feel sorry for themselves. I really don't. I mean, you got people who are a continuous state of woe as me. And I... You know, I, I'm sorry. You, you, your life, for the most part, is, you know, I look at guys like that guy that rode the marathon bike 5,000 times. He's got cancer. and He does it. I, I don't have a lot of just self-pity stuff. Doesn't, I mean, my drill sergeant one time back there told me if I wanted to know, asked me if I knew what the word sympathy meant. And he said, well, you find it in a dictionary between two words. And I can't tell you what those other two <laughs> words are. But it cured me. But you know what? <clears throat> Ever feel alone? I mean, in this Christian fight. You know, Elijah felt alone back there in 1 Kings. But he really wasn't. You see, we think we're all by ourselves. We're not. Oh, Elijah's back there. He's down and crying in his beer, you know. I don't know if he drank beer. He's crying in his face, you know, down there. And he's saying, oh, no, no. And you know what God says? He says, man, you have lost your perspective, son. 
He said, I got 4,000 men out there that have not bowed the knee to Baal, nor have they kissed him. He thought he was by himself. Paul thought he was by himself. I understand it. He's in the prison back there, and he said, you know what he said back there at the end of 2 Timothy? He said, only Luke is with me. But yet he had hundreds of people praying for him. He wasn't by himself. He wasn't by himself. Jonah thought he was by himself. He's out there moping around a journal tree, you know, and he's whining and crying about everything, you know, and he wasn't by himself. He wasn't by himself. Martin Luther said one time, somebody said, Don't, Martin, don't you know the whole world's against you? He snarled back, Well, I'm against the whole world. But you know what? He really wasn't by himself. And I'll tell you something else. You and I, no matter how alone we feel, we're not alone. But you know, there's one man in the Bible that was all alone. You know who it was? It was Noah. There's no indication that even Noah's wife or his boys were any support for him. And Noah preached about the second coming of the Lord and God's judgment for 120 years, and nobody, I mean nobody, got saved. Nobody came forward. Nobody even showed up. Nobody believed anything he said. For a hundred, you know how discouraged he must have gotten? You know how there must have been times when he just got alone with God and just says, God, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're talking about? You, God, you got me building a boat three football fields long in my backyard. First problem is my backyard ain't that large. I'm in five neighbors on both sides of my house. I got nine lawsuits on me. Now, Lord, you said it's going to rain. Lord, I love you. What's rain? Hadn't rained yet. Lord, you got me out there standing on the end of that platform preaching about your coming. Everybody in this world Lord, there's six million people on this planet. They all say they love you. They all go to church. They're all doing what they say is right. Who in the world am I getting up there with a negative message in a positive world? The whole world is saying, we're fine, we're lovely, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. We're all together, all the gays, all the lesbians, all this, all that. Everybody together, link arms, we're all, there's many roads to heaven. We just go down whatever one fancies us. And I'm up there preaching, you're all going to die and burn in hell for eternity. I'm sure in that 120 years, there were times when he thought he was alone, because he was alone. But you know what? There was a day when he got up <clears throat> and he opened that front door and walked out to go to work and it looked like it was midnight. Sun didn't come up that morning. Across those mountains he saw the blackest rolling thunder clouds that any man has ever seen in the history of the world. And he moved down with his family down there all down, and you know, he knew something was coming. You know how he knew something was coming? Because majestically, without anything at all, animals started showing up and going up the gangplank. The animals, well, there were men that were laughing at Noah, making fun of Noah, and down the road come two animals that they ever, and one of them said to the other one, now look at that. My granddaddy told me about it. There ain't no animals like those animals came from all over the earth in orderly fashion two by two clean ones by seven in order walk down that ark up into that by themselves he knew something was coming but he didn't know what I know something's coming 
I see them all lining up. Boy, he went out that day and that, that sun wasn't shining and the sky was black. And over in the distance he saw a clack of lightning for the first time and heard the rumble of thunder. To this day, when you hear that thunder, the old wives' tales is that the giants are bowling. I remember a little kid, and the old crack of thunder, some old timer said, Oh, the giants are bowling. I said, What giants? He said, Don't you know about the giants? And I said, Well, you're bigger than I am. I'm just kind of like this. No, I don't know. And that's, you know where? Back to Genesis 6. And boy, I'll tell you what. He may have had doubts for 120 years and felt like he was alone when he was, but when he got on that ark and God shut the door and the rain started to come down and he heard hundreds of people screaming and yelling and beating on that door, Noah, let me in. Noah, I'm sorry. Noah, I, I wished I'd have listened, Noah. You know what? Noah sat back there and I'm bet you with tears running down his face, he said, I can't open the door. I can't open the door. And down inside, as he sat down in that ark, put his hand between his legs, there was one comfort. You know what that comfort was? And that 120 years when he doubted it, when God called him to do something that he called no other man to do, when he called him to preach things that wasn't popular in the world, he was preaching everything else, he had the satisfaction when he sat in that boat that he had done what God called him to do, and God was right. Somebody said to me one time, why will you think you're right? Don't you know the whole world believes something different? And I said, you know what? In Noah's day, there were six million people on planet Earth and only eight got into the ark. Why? Because that was as haughty a sting among men as an abomination in the sight of God. That's why. They bought the deception. Noah didn't. By the way, another little term, don't miss the boat. A lot of people missed the boat. Genesis 6, to this day, don't miss the boat. I'm telling you this morning, if you're here and you're unsaved and you're lost, don't miss the boat. When God shuts the door, it's shut. It's shut. He's saying down here in chapter 1, the Lord is coming with fire. And He's going to destroy the world. And He's going to bring back everything that's right. And He's going to establish Israel and, and all the things that God said He was going to do. And I don't care what the world says today. I don't care how they laugh at you. I don't care how they make fun of you. One of these days when that old rapture of the church takes place, brother, we're safe in the arms of God. And God unleashes all the power of hell on this planet. It'll be a good day. So chapter 1 deals with the coming of the Lord. Then we get into chapter 2, the greatest chapter probably in all the New Testament that details out the coming man of sin. Let me read it for you down here very quickly. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled neither in by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that ye might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. 
and then shall be the shall be the uh, that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the coming of his brightness. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs of lying wonders, and with all deceivableness. There it is. Don't be deceived. Don't be disarmed. Don't be discouraged. Of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause shall God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Great passage. One of the greatest passages in the New Testament. So much in this chapter, I don't even know where to begin. But let's talk in it this way. Now, we've got to break this chapter down here. Here's how we do it. Verse 7 is the breakdown verse. It says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he that now letteth will let until it be taken out of the way. Now, what we've got here is the revealing and the coming of the Antichrist. This is called the mystery of iniquity, verse 7. The mystery of iniquity. Let me explain that. Now we'll get back to verse 7. The mystery of iniquity is simply this. There are seven mysteries in the New Testament. Those seven mysteries are given to the body of Christ. Those seven mysteries are intimate things about the Bible the average Christian has no clue on. You want to find out where a Christian is, how big they talk, what they talk about, what they've done, where they've been, all this stuff? Just ask them. Give you three of the seven mysteries. You cannot be a functioning Christian in tune with God and the Word of God without knowing those mysteries. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, there's seven to the church. There's 12 to the nation of Israel. And I'm just telling you, you can say what you want to say, believe what you want to say. You can deceive yourself all you want. You cannot be plugged into the book and the Word of God without knowing them. You just cannot. They are vital absolutely vital. In fact, the Bible says that the pastor is going to give an account or, account or accountability someday of Jesus Christ for being a steward of those mysteries. A pastor is to teach those mysteries to his people. We haven't got there yet. Most of you have been around for a while. You, you got them, but we'll, at some point we will go through them and give everybody up to speed. Now, just like there's seven mysteries, in the last book we looked at, you know what we saw? We saw seven things not to be ignorant of. Just like there's seven mysteries of the church, there's seven things the church is not to be ignorant of. By the way, these are the 14 things that the church is most ignorant of and don't understand about the mysteries. Why? The deception, you see. The deception. The devil is not going to let you get those things because they reveal too much about him. Now this mystery of iniquity is real simple. And basically it's this. First time you find Babylon is in Genesis chapter 10. Last time you find Babylon, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. 6,000 years between. The history of man. This mystery of iniquity is how in the world did the devil make it from point A to point B without getting caught? That's all it is. How did the devil do it? For 6,000 years of man's history, how in the world did he get from Genesis chapter 10, the first Babylon, to Revelation 17 18, where he's sitting on the throne as God with all the believers missing it and the whole world deceived by it? The answer to that question is, face of his garments. The mystery of iniquity is the background behind the scene work of the devil and what he has done down through 6,000 years of man's history from religion, politics, and science to set himself up as God. That's all that it is. And this deceptive work is known as the garments of deception. He has changed Clothes with the scenery down through history, and the only one that could find him were those that had a book that detailed him out. And when he got the book out of our hands, he had free course to do what he wanted to do. Now, let's look at this passage, verse 7. Verse 7 is the rapture of the church. Here's what you got 
you've got two revealings of the Antichrist. Two revealings of the Antichrist. You've got one revealing when he comes into this world secretly. Probably already has. You've got another revealing after the rapture of the church when he reveals himself as the Antichrist, the man of sin. See that counterfeit? Christ showed up the first time. He showed up privately. Nobody knew he came except his family and some wise men. Thirty years later, he made his public ministry to the whole world. That's what the devil did. Two, two revealings of the Antichrist. <coughs> I don't know how it all lays out. <coughs> don't know the time element. I know this. The nation of Israel, we've seen many, many times, plays a key factor in this. And we know that some point, sometime right now, over there in the Middle East or somewhere, there's a man that has been born that's alive that's going to become the son of perdition. He's revealed to this earth as being born in it, and then he's revealed at a later time as the man of sin. Verse 7 is the rapture of the church. Everything 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 fits into the rapture. Everything 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, on down through the rest of the chapter fits in after the rapture. Look at verse 7. Here's the rapture. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It was working in Paul's time when he was writing this. It's working in 1980, working in 2005. It's been at work all this time. That mystery uh, of iniquity is the deception that the devil pulls off to deceive the whole world. Verse 7, Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. You know what he's saying? There's only one thing holding back the Antichrist right now as we speak. That is the Holy Spirit of God living inside the body of Christ and the body of Christ on this planet. But it says in verse 7 that now letteth will let until he, the Holy Spirit of God, be taken out of the way. When does that happen? Rapture of the church. So verse 7 is the rapture. He's telling us in verse 7 that the mystery of iniquity already works, has been working for 5,000, 6,000 years. The only thing that's holding it back is the Holy Spirit of God in us. But there's coming a day when that rapture takes place that it'll be taken out of the way. Verse 8. And then, after the Holy Spirit of God is gone, and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of His mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming, even Him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they uh, receive not the truth that they might be saved. All right, after the rapture, then the wicked is revealed. All right, come up to verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit, by the word a letter from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you. Be not deceived, be not disarmed, be not discouraged. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. There's a Laodicea in church period. Falling away. Getting out of the Bible. Losing the Bible. Losing their value systems. Getting off the old paths. There they are. Falling away first. That the man of sin be revealed the son of provision. There's where he's born. Then he's born sometime toward the end of the Laodicean church period before the rapture, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not when I was yet with you, I told you these things. All right, he's telling you that the original goal of the devil has always been the same. You think, we think the first sin in the Bible is Adam and Eve. That's not true. 
first thing in the Bible is Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14 when Lucifer tried to overthrow God and later became the devil. And what he says there is shows you the number one problem that he had that he always had. He says, I will be, I will set my I will set my throne on the side of the north. I will be like the most high God. Devil wants to be God. His number one problem is pride. Hence, that's the number one problem that you and I have to deal with is pride. The devil cannot see anything but himself. A lot of God's people can't see anything but themselves. And that's just the way that it works. So we've got coming down here through verses 1 through 6, which talking about the fact that he is revealed on this planet. And then, verse 7, the rapture of the church, and after that, and then that shall that wicked be revealed. Here's the second revelation, the revealing as the man of sin. See, right now, he's somewhere behind the scenes. He's somewhere behind the scenes, patiently waiting for the deception to fulfill itself. All the stuff that's going on in the Middle East, all the stuff with terrorism, all the stuff that's going on politically, all the stuff that's going went on scientifically, all the stuff that's going on uh, with the Bible in, in the churches and Christianity, everything is falling into place in that passive mush mode where nothing is real, nothing is, is open, everything is just there, and there's nothing that is discernible, and through that he will reveal himself as the man of sin after the rapture of the church. When the rapture takes place, the Holy Spirit of God, as we know it, is off this planet. You and I, the body of Christ, every saved person on this planet is the only thing holding back the force of Satan. When that body of Christ is exited out at the rapture, last book we looked at, chapter 4, the Antichrist now completely owns this world, and that's why everything he's done from Genesis up to this point has to prepare the world that when we're gone, he takes over. I've had people ask me all the time, how is the devil going to explain, if the rapture is true, how is the devil going to explain away the disappearance of 100 million people? Well, that's taking an example that there's 100 million people saved. I mean, uh, there may be just 20 gone. I don't know. But you see, the mystery of iniquity already works. The deception's already there. I don't know what it'll be. But it is all laid out and planned out that it ain't going to be a problem. And I'll tell you why it isn't going to be a problem even more than that. Come on down to the end of the chapter. Pick it up in verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. All right? There's the people that are left. When the rapture takes place, there's people that are left. Maybe some in this room have never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior. That whole world out there will go on. It will just be absent of a bunch of people who were pain in everybody's backside to begin with. And it'll be a great relief for us to be gone. But the Bible says, verse 11, And for this cause, what's the cause? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Because people right now may be sitting in this room, people that you work with, people that you've witnessed to, people that are your friend, people that are your children, because they have rejected the love of the truth that they might be saved, once that Holy Spirit of God is gone, verse 11, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. You reject the Holy Spirit of God that is truth. You reject the Word of God that is truth. When truth goes, you get the lie you wanted. 
See how that thing works? You get the lie you wanted. Now why does he do that? Verse 12. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let me just say this to you before we go back and put this all together. If you miss the rapture of the church, it's over for you. There ain't no second chance. You ain't going to get another shot at it. You're not going to become a Jew and run around with the nation of Israel. The Bible makes it very clear, and I know you got people all around the world. I've known people all my life that bought extra Bibles and then put instructions in them, what and hit them places so that when somebody missed the rapture, you know, that they would open it up and find it and get saved. If it doesn't work that way, you have one chance. And that chance is now. That's why the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You have one chance. It's your life. And when you harden your heart and when you reject the love of the truth that you might be saved and you reject that, when the rapture takes place and you're left, at that moment, God gives you, the after the multitude of your heart, God gives you the lie that you want to believe. You want to believe in the world? He's going to give you the world. And He's going to give you a God and a Christ to fit your ticket of just what you have deceived yourself into believing. For one purpose. To damn you. To damn you. No second chance. No, well, you didn't have... No, no. We're talking about God's Son hanging on a cross, dying for you, agonizing for you, and then you living your life the way you want to, thumbing your nose at God, and then missing a rapture, and then going to get in on a special trip ticket. I don't think so. We're talking about God's Son hanging there dying for you and for me. You see, that's the kind of preaching that is missing today. That's what's wrong with Christianity. That's why God's people don't like it. That's why you can't build a church with thousands of people preaching that way because nobody wants to hear the truth anymore. The truth is this. You missed that rapture. You missed that Savior on the cross and you are lost. Verses 1 down through verse 6 tells you about there's a revealing of Him into this world, the son of perdition. That's a great study. Goes all the way back to John. Only two men in the Bible called the son of perdition. You want to find out who the Antichrist is? Start in John chapter 17 and work your way out from there. There's a revealing just as the, the, the Antichrist will be born into this world and rise through the political, scientific, religious world to a great point. And then the rapture takes place. At the right time, God is ready for all things to be ended. And then He's revealed as the man of sin. He goes into Jerusalem. He claimed before the whole world to be God. The whole world has bought the deception. The whole world has believed the mystery of iniquity. The whole world has been deceived because they've been disarmed and because they've been discouraged. And now they believe it. And they actually say, God is back. All the religions that believed in all millennialism or post-millennialism say, See, here He is. We brought in the kingdom. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The world's a great place. There'll be peace with Israel, peace with the world. And for a short period of time, everything looks good. And just as you lull yourself into that satisfaction that the peace has finally come, somebody's going to rain on your parade. The great tribulation starts and this whole world feels the wrath of Almighty God for one purpose that every man and every woman 
that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ during this time, that rejected it or played games with it or fiddled with it, but never really took it into your heart. At that moment, at that time, the whole thing comes down for one purpose, that you might be damned because you believe not the truth nor held the love of the truth that you might be saved. You missed the rapture, friend. It's over. It's over. Then lastly in chapter 3, my comfort in all this mess. My comfort in all this mess. He says down through here, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of, of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. You know what? That's my job. That's our job. Right now, that's our job. My job. This church exists for one reason. It doesn't exist for you to get any personal glorification. It doesn't exist for me to get any. It exists for one reason. We band together. We work together. We do whatever we got to do. We put our selfish little things aside. We put our little petty things aside. And we, we, in these last days, as a model church, with a model walk, as model servants, we do one thing. We create an atmosphere in this old godless world where the Word of God can have free course to do what God wants it to do. How do we do it? We glorify. How about that? Glorifying a book. That's kind of tough to do if you don't have it, isn't it? He said, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. There's somebody glorifying a book. Even that is with you. And that you may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Now, ah, there's a good one. That's good. Faith. You see, people are so screwed up today. That Bible says you can't have faith. It said not all men have faith. You know why? We talked a couple weeks ago, or last week, we talked about a work of faith in the model church. You know what the definition of faith is? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You don't have the Word of God, you don't have faith. You may be saved, but you don't have faith. Faith is dependent on a book. And if you don't have it, you ain't got it. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You can't have faith without the book. You can have Christianity, you can run around and do lots of things, but don't tell me you have a working faith, a work of faith, a biblical-based faith, when you don't even have a Bible, when the Bible tells you that that's where your faith comes from. Great chapter. He says that my job and your job in these last days is to band together in everything we do, that the Word of God have free course. That's what I wanted today. You see, I know what I'm preaching this morning. See, I don't know where you're all at. I mean, I love a lot of you. I work with you. We have time in the Bible. I look forward. Like I said, I'll work with anybody, put anybody in your life. I don't know where you're all at, but I do know this. I know one thing. Because of our stand on the Word of God today and because we give that book the preeminence that it is and the glorification that it is and what it deserves, I know this. The Bible has had free course in here. You may not have liked what I said. You may not like me. You may not like my style. You may not agree with anything I said. But, and I don't care about that. You know why? Because you know what it means for the Bible to have free course? Because all during that last hour I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit of God, I've been walking up and down these aisles, walking through here, and been touching people. Touching people. He's been saying, well, what are you, 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 well, you're fighting and mad about this. He's saying, yeah, but what about this? And you're saying, well, yeah, but come on, what about this? You see, he's had free course. That's what I want. 
I want when I get up to preach or one of you guys get up to preach or somebody gets up to preach that the Holy Spirit of God just have the ability because we're honoring Him, honoring and glorifying that book. And we know what we've got. We know what we believe. That we can just preach the Word of God honestly, openly, and say what needs to be said because the Holy Spirit of God, I don't have to worry about making you mad because I don't care if you get mad or you don't. You say, well, I'll quit and not come back. You know what? This church will go on without you. I got some terrible news for you. There's only one person that needs to be here every Sunday. That's the Holy Spirit of God of that book. Everybody else is optional. It's up to you. I mean, you need to be here, but you, it's up to you. Two kinds of people. People who do everything to get to church. People who do everything to get away from church. Free course. Free course to touch your life this morning and to touch you and say, hey, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't look at this world around you and think that it's great. We're in the last moments of the last hour before the man of sin becomes revealed because we're going out of here. Get a reality check. It's not Snow White and Cinderella and, and Goofy and, 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 and everybody running around in little costumes pretending like it's a really nice place and inside here with all the aesthetics and all the beautiful old-time furniture and all the medieval pictures and the statues of pictures and the armor and the swords on the wall and everybody running around in tights and everybody walking around in puffy dresses with bun hair and walking around and smiling and going. And every time she gets a picture taken, she pulls her dress out like this, you know, and she's always putting her fingers like this and like, like that's the way life really is life isn't that way put them like that somebody will step on them i'm telling you there's a real world out there don't be deceived I'm telling you 1972 old john rawlings boy he said bob alexander don't be deceived he said bob alexander don't be disarmed don't let anybody take that book from you and he said bob alexander don't be discouraged hey there's a job to do we're living in the greatest period of time. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. Oh, I don't care what they say. You can laugh at me all you People laughed at me, made fun of me, lied about me, tried to assassinate my character all my life. You know what? That's the price that comes for believing a book. And that's okay. Because there's coming a day when he's going to make every wrong right. And that's why you don't have to take it personal. You, man, you can say anything you want to say. I ain't going to take it personal. You know why? Because there's coming a day. When God's going to make it all right, it'll all get ironed out. And we'll find out who believed what and who really believed what and all the things that go along with it. You know why? Because in that day, the Bible will have free course. And that's the kind of church we need to have. That somebody gets up and preach and the Holy Spirit of God has the freedom to do whatever needs to be done. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Hey.